But I was really interested in this grand social experiment of what would happen if women started a hard goods company that was by women for women, what would the industry do? And what would women do? What, what would human beings do? Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. If you're a specialty business and brand leader obsessed with understanding what the most effective channels are today to connect with, serve, and sell to your target consumers, then you've just found the perfect podcast and community. My name is Kristen Carpenter, and I'm your host and the founder of Verde Brand Communications, the presenting sponsor of Channel Mastery. Verde created the Channel Mastery podcast to level the playing field for the specialty brands we serve. Every week on this show, we study how consumer preferences are changing and the evolving channels they like to use to engage with their favorite brands. Once again, welcome to Channel Mastery and subscribe today. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. Kristen Carpenter reporting for duty, your host and the founder and CEO of Verde Brand Communications, the presenting sponsor of the Channel Mastery Podcast. And today I get to present episode 106 to you amazing people, and it is so, so special for many reasons. I'm going to share just two of those reasons with you in this short intro. It's the very first episode marking a seasonal partnership with the Snow Sports Industries of America, SIA. That's right. SIA is a co-presenting sponsor every month from October now through March of 2020. SIA will be co-producing an episode with Verde and also sharing other relevant Channel Mastery episodes with their amazing audience of specialty snow sports, brand leaders, reps, retailers, athletes, and all the people who love snow so much that they're, they've figured out how to create an entire career out of that passion. We know you and feel you people. Channel Mastery's founding and presenting sponsor will still be Verity Brand Communications, but we are going forward going to be doing special episodes for Bicycle Retailer and Industry News, Snooze, and SIA every single month. This is really exciting and a huge honor, and I just want to thank every single one of you for helping us get to this point. And I also want you to know that I am here and open to ideas for shows for these markets. You can just hit me up on LinkedIn at Kristen Carpenter. I'm also on, well, I'm on a lot of other channels. You can go to the podcast notes page and and figure out how to get a hold of me there. But just know, I love to hear from you. So the second reason of many that this is a special episode is because of who I get to interview. I have an absolute force to share with you today. It is none other, she is none other than Jen Gorecki, who is the CEO and founder of Coalition Snow, the publisher of Sisu Magazine, that's S-I-S-U, the author of the Lady Parts Newsletter, which is a revered newsletter, and also a brick-and-mortar retailer as of mid-October of this year. That's right. Truckee, California, you are not going to know what hits you with the Coalition Snow Store that is popping up there. So she is obviously the definition of a serial and social entrepreneur, and you'll learn exactly what that means in the episode today. When you go to the Coalition Snow website, you're greeted with what I think kind of sums up Jen. 
It says, when they zig, we zag. And then it says, fiercely independent, women-owned, and operated. Jen is one woman business leader who just goes for it and is so committed to using her business as a vehicle for positive change, much needed paradigm change. You're about to look into the mind of an entrepreneur who is completely oblivious to any limits or boundaries that exist in the specialty businesses of snow sports and outdoor. You'll get to see the five-year journey of a leader of a snow sports hard goods brand who absolutely relishes in taking a bold stance and how this bold stance and the leadership approach that has come from it through her content is creating a brand with a stark, raving, mad, loyal following. Of course, we also dive into Coalition Snow's nimble and bold, equally bold channel strategy that continually romances its community with a huge standout perspective. Also, keep in mind that if you're driving around and listening to this show with kids in the car, there are a few F-bombs in this episode. Once again, thank you, SIA, for co-producing this special episode. Here is the Jen Gorecki interview on the Channel Mastery Podcast. Let's do this. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I am very proud to introduce today's guest, Jen Gorecki, CEO of Coalition Snow and editor of Sisu Magazine, and a social entrepreneur on a mission to the show today. Welcome, Jen. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We've been planning this for some time now, and I'm so <laughs> glad we got it together. Just know I'm super grateful that you're able to take the time, and um, I know you've had a lot going on, a lot of great stuff we're going to talk about. So with that, can you give my awesome audience a bit of your background or your founder's story on Coalition Snow, on Sisu, on all that you're doing and how it all ties together? Absolutely. I'm one of those people who's perhaps an, an unlikely entrepreneur in the outdoor space, although I would consider myself an outdoors person since I was a teenager. So I first learned how to ski and snowboard in Arizona. Yay. Not a place that people associate with <laughs> snow, but I joined the ski club when I was in high school because my family didn't ski, and that was my first introduction. And I knew that it was that was a sport that I was going to love for my entire life. And so I picked a school in Arizona where I could only take classes Tuesdays and Thursdays and work at Arizona Snow Bowl and Ski Pow, my entire awesome. college existence. And then from there, I moved to Tahoe. So I've been on this path of loving the outdoors and loving skiing, but I was never in the industry. In fact, I really stayed away from it because I'm not really into the hype. Let's just say, say that. That's, I think some people are and good for them. I'm just really like making turns with my friends. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> when, when I first moved to Tahoe, I had finished my degree. I was only you know, 22, 23 years old, and I needed a job, and I was able to get into outdoor education. So I started on the outdoor side of things as, as a guide, and I worked in both the nonprofit and the for-profit side. And then as any ski bum, I, who was woefully underemployed, I went back to school and got a master's degree. And it was in my master's degree that I, that, um, I was actually at Prescott College, uh, probably a lot of people in the audience have heard of them from their outdoor rec degrees. But Absolutely. I, went, I went to Prescott College and I was actually really focused on bottom-up approaches to social change. And the research that I conducted was with a team of women in Kenya. 
So I, I really steered away from the outdoors. Eventually, my research brought me back to where I am today, but I was really looking at what needs to happen on the ground for women to step in to positions of leadership, both in the home and in society, that they were ready to be in and that they deserved to be in. And that was my first time traveling to Kenya. And I ultimately ended up starting a business in Kenya. While you were getting your master's? Well, I finished the master's. Okay. Finished the master's, took a job at UC Berkeley, and I was I was the the director of a program called Adventure Risk Challenge that still exists today. It's an incredible nonprofit. And the mission was to bring underserved, underrepresented, and English language learner and first-generation students into the wilderness for 40-day courses. So I was working in Yosemite National Park, um, working all across the Central Valley of California, um, driving into what felt like the middle of nowhere, going to speak to parents in Spanish and talking to them about, you know, getting their their children out into Yosemite for the summer. And that was a, a definitely crystallizing transformational experience for me to be able to do that work in partnership with UC Merced and UC Berkeley and Yosemite National Park and work in Tahoe. And then I got really tired of working with other people's kids. And I had, <laughs> I don't have any kids myself. They're just not my jam. Once you, like, that's your jam. Good for you. Not for me. I had, you know, sort of moved into, I was, I had literally gotten my feet wet in another business. I was co-owning a whitewater rafting company and I just, I really just wanted a change. And so I, once again, woefully underemployed, see, I'm in Tahoe. What do you do? You go back to school again. So I went back to school <laughs> I started a PhD, which I will admit I have, I never, I dropped out of my PhD because I thought it was more important to be a CEO. But so I I went back to school. I I left Berkeley, went back to school again, was studying a lot of economic development. So I was, you know, working under the London School of Economics and, and looking at climate change and ecosystem, like really looking at how you tie social environmental movements together. And then because I love to suffer I, um, <laughs> and just really enjoy doing difficult things, I was on a backcountry ski trip with friends. And at the time, I was, you know, like I said, I've never really been one to be a part of the industry, which is probably why people wonder what the hell that I'm doing, because they're like, you didn't work for anyone and you were never here. Yeah, you're right. I wasn't. I was just hanging out with friends. But I was noticing that there was this big shift happening where women athletes in particular, so like Lindsay Dyer and Molly Hank, like different, different people were starting to talk about how women were positioned as athletes in snow sports. And I'd never seen people talk like this. And perhaps that's because we didn't have things like Facebook and Instagram when I was mm-hmm. in college. But I was noticing that women were starting to become very outspoken about the way that they were represented in the media. And this was right before Lindsay Dyer put out Pretty Faces. So this probably would have been like 2012, 2013. And I thought to myself, like, something's happening. Something is happening. I don't know what it is. And then one of my friends who happened to be in the industry said, you know what would really shake things up? If you started a ski company. And I I said, yeah, you're right. That would. Because no one expects women to make hard goods. You're so right. 
it's not historically that, historically right and this wasn't that long ago right so this we're talking this coalition we started coalition in 2014 after a year of market research so really the idea came you know it was like 2012 2013 but i was really interested in this grand social experiment of what would happen if women started a hard goods company that was by women for women what would the industry do and what would women do what what would human beings do so i like i said i'm avid skier and snowboarder dedicated my life to chasing powder days to the point where like my parents are so disappointed that i still have like I have nothing. I own, I have nothing. I own nothing, but <laughs> <laughs> don't get into this business. If you want to make money, I'm going to tell right. you that. <laughs> but, um, so I had obviously had this passion for it, but the business side of it really came from knowing myself and knowing that I had the capacity to start businesses and start businesses that were really difficult. And then also really believing that there, that women didn't have to stay in their lane and that they absolutely could expand outside of more traditional roles. And I, and I was curious what that would look like. And we've been learning what that looks like for the past six years. And it's definitely been an interesting journey. And it's still an experiment. Everything that we do is an experiment. And I learn every day and it's fascinating. Yeah. That's why I wanted to host you on the show because there's something very outstanding about the fact that you didn't come up through the ranks, okay? A lot of people who are raft guides or guides in the you know, outdoors mm-hmm. will become a sales rep after they work retail, then they kind of go into the next thing. And, and like pretty soon, they're kind of handed a blueprint, even though they don't realize it, and that's how they go forward. Yeah. And I love that you basically like didn't know any better. And you all, what you did know is I know how to start a business in the toughest place you can, which Mm -hmm. is rural Kenya. Mm -hmm. How hard could it possibly be to do this? And the other thing I think that we're going to discover in this interview is just your sense of nimbleness and having to continuously bob and weave to evolve a company. Because today, if you stay to the same lane, you're actually hosed. You know, Absolutely. you have to, you have to be approaching it the way that you are, but I just applaud that you decided to like cannonball into the deep end because <laughs> now you're here and I want everybody to know who's listening. Obviously this is the first of um, the, you know, seasons episodes we're going to be doing where the snow sports industries of America SIA is co-producing, right? This is one of the shows that they're co-producing. So here you are, we have an audience that I think is highly relevant. What is it like? What is it that you're learning as a as a hard goods CEO? And then I'd like to get into the channels that you've expanded into, both in sales and marketing. Right. Well, what I've learned is that starting a seasonal hard good comp- hard goods company is likely as difficult or more difficult than starting a business in Kenya. Okay. <laughs> For the record. For the record, and and. And I say that, I mean, I, I think that if we were approaching coalition as a hobby or like a side hustle, it'd likely be a lot easier. But we, you know, this is our full-time work and we're scaling and, and there's a lot that goes into it and a lot of challenges. And there are a lot of challenges that every CEO of a snow sports company faces. And then there are some challenges that are unique to us. 
So I'm, I'm learning the difference in those challenges. I'm learning how to navigate them. There's just so much, there's so much. Right, so maybe tell us what it was like when you first launched. And, and, like, and then I'd like to talk about maybe a couple of the key milestones. Are you manufacturing in America or like, you know, how did you approach it? You said it took you about a year to kind of launch it, right? So although I was not heavily involved in the industry, I'm smart enough at business to know that I had to bring other people on. So there's a lot of behind the scenes that was happening that most people even to this day aren't aware of. I think that some people might think that we, that I, that we were like learning how to press skis in our garage. No one has time for that. I'm starting a real business. So I immediately found advisors and partners who could connect me to established and reputable manufacturers and engineers around the world so that we could immediately go to market with exceptional skis and snowboards. So as a team at Coalition, we always started where we are the women who are creating the designs. And, And we're really starting from this as a standpoint of like, what do we want to ski on? We've never, one thing that makes us different is we were never looking at the anatomy of women or the, you know, the anatomy of human beings and saying like, this is what makes a women ski. We always approached it as like, what's not in the, what's not out there in the market that we would like to be on. And then we designed it. And we have been working with top notch engineers uh, and manufacturers, both overseas and domestically to be able to manufacture our line. Now, when we started if anyone remembers the winter of 2014-15, it was the worst drought in the history of California. Not a good time to launch a ski company <laughs> and everything delivered late because we are the one of the smallest ski companies in the world. So we are not prioritized. And uh, yeah, it was a rough year. And the only thing that saved us that first year is that I said, we're gonna, we are going to have a second one. And I launched a Kickstarter. And so then, awesome. we had, then we had money for production for the next year. And that's what really got us there. But starting, I mean, starting is often the most difficult thing that you can do, right? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes like you just have to get to market. You just have to do it. I would say that our first year was more like year zero because we didn't do a lot that first year. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But you had enough to do a Kickstarter. And I love that because it ultimately embeds you with your tribe, your people yeah. out there that you're serving. And so I'm curious to know, um, what were some of the things that you learned from your fans and followers in the Kickstarter that still continue today? Going into the Kickstarter and even starting coalition, we knew that our business model was going to be primarily direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, so part of that is that we felt like we were the best people to speak to our community because by and large, and, and it may, it's not so much today because quite a few things have changed, but so many women and, and, and by, by women, you know, we have to look at the intersectionality of it. Like women aren't just a one size fits all. We have women who are all different sizes and shapes and, and colors and backgrounds. And then, you know, now we know, we understand that we need to be a lot more inclusive around gender fluidity and non non-binary individuals. And there's a lot of people in the outdoors who felt like no one was listening to them and no one was talking to them. And coalition started, we knew that we had to have a really good product or else you're, 
you will not survive. But we also knew that the message was really important. And it was a message of inclusivity and acceptance and come as you are. We accept you we, the way that you are. So that's how we started. And that's how we led with this Kickstarter. And our model was really direct to consumer. And, and part of that too was that you know we're not in the industry. And we knew going into this that a lot of buyers... And people in the industry would never take us seriously because who the fuck are you? Yeah. <laughs> Which I know you still think that about. By the way, I know what you all think. Don't, I'm not, a, <laughs> not stupid. But we, so we knew that like really what was going to make Coalition successful was to speak to the people who felt the way that we felt. We felt like we loved skiing and snowboarding and why didn't we see people like ourselves? And why did we only see women in bikinis? And why would you like all the things that we would see that we just didn't like? And so we, that's really how we chose to lead with the company and lead with the, the Kickstarter. And, and since then you'll see that we have a really strong and bold voice because we are speaking up and speaking out for people and our community expects us to do that. Um, and our community expects us to take risks and be be brave and say things that other people won't. And that gets us into trouble sometimes. Um, but also it's saying things that need to be said are never easy, but we're willing to do it. And that definitely is what helped us build a brand. And then, you know, like I said, because we do have such exceptional product, that's how we still exist as a business. That's awesome. So let's talk about how you've created more portals for more women to join. Okay. Mm -hmm. So first let's talk, well, I guess, why don't we just go in the order? Like, obviously you have the targets company, you had the Kickstarter. When did the lady parts newsletter hit the scene? <laughs> so, um, I remember the day, I remember the day that that happened. So that would have happened in year two and we needed to get a newsletter out and I was trying to figure out the name of it. And I just came up with this idea, Lady Parts, and I slacked it to one of the people on my team and, all, and she said it out loud. And then her roommate, who's a man, screamed and <laughs> was giddy about it. I was like, that's it. That's what we're doing. So uh, Lady Parts, we've had something like, I don't know, more than... We now we're at the point where it comes out every single Thursday and we've hundreds of them have gone out and it's, you know, a lot of times it's just what I'm thinking that week and, and what's happening in the industry or happening in the world. So obviously we try to sell you some shit too, because got to girls got to keep the doors open. Um, right. But this is, you know, that's one of the ways that we've really looked at like holding space and, and creating community is, is talking about really important issues and, and understanding that, the people who admire Coalition or who um, are invested in our brand, they are as diverse thinkers as we are. So it's we don't just talk about skiing. Enough of that happens in our industry. Like everybody's oh, great. You guys all keep doing that. There's bigger conversations. So we tend to have those. And that's what we do in Lady Parts every Thursday. And then is there a two-way like conversation, obviously on social media, is one channel stronger than another on that? Or does the newsletter come out, you optimize it, I'm imagining, across your social media? Which one is like the gathering place for your community? That's, it's, it really depends on who you are. So we have, you know, you look at, we really tend to focus on Facebook, Instagram, our newsletter, and then we have we have our podcast and our, we have all these different channels, right? I would say that there's, it just depends on 
where people are at. So we have a lot of activity on Instagram and that's definitely a younger demographic, younger in being people who are not as old as me. Um, so that's like more like 24 to 40. It's like even like mid thirties is really active on Instagram. We get a lot of DMs, a lot of comments. Um, Facebook is a different platform, obviously. Like that's a place where we can share news and articles and different links. And so the, so we use those platforms differently to engage our audiences in different ways. And then we we target them, you know, obviously through the newsletter and then podcast magazine events. And magazine and events is where I kind of want to go next. So yeah. I remember it very clearly. You sat down with me at, I think it was a show in Denver and we went mm-hmm. and had coffee and you're like, I'm thinking of doing this. And I'm like, hell yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> so tell us about Sisu. Actually, the original name of it and then Sisu. Yeah, so the so you and I, that would have been the summer 2018 OR yeah. show. I had just finished cycling across Africa. Mm-hmm. And when you spend that much time in the saddle, it was like 70 days and I don't know, 6,000 some odd kilometers. I had a lot of time to think. And we're always conducting market research too. So we're always sending out surveys and, you know, engaging with our community in different ways. And it was on that trip um, that I realized that we have evolved as a company into a platform. Like, so it's really like a product as a platform and there's only so much that you can do with a newsletter and with social and video is not really our jam. Like I know, I wish, I wish we were good at that. We're just not, but I have a degree in journalism and Lauren is an artist and we are like, let's start a magazine. That's in our wheelhouse. People want to hear different stories. People want to tell their stories. And a magazine is an incredible platform because you literally have blank pages to fill. Mm-hmm. And so that was really the idea behind Sisu, which was first called Scout Magazine. And then I registered the, attempted to register the trademark. And then the Girl Scouts of America sent me a cease and desist. And <laughs> I do not like to fight with little girls, nor do I have the time. Yeah. So we just, we scrapped it and we're like, all right, we're going to come up with a, a new name. And, uh, you know, went down the rabbit hole of, of Google and, and landed on this word Sisu, which is a Finnish term that embodies the spirit of grit, guts, and perseverance. And that to us perfectly defines our experiences in the outdoors, but it also defines our experiences as entrepreneurs and as women in the industry. Right. So we launched, I love it. thank you. We launched Sisu, our first issue in December of 2018 and our fourth issue, this is really our year anniversary just came out last week and it's a quarterly print publication. It's gorgeous. And then we, it's also obviously available digitally because we Mm -hmm. understand there's people who want that too. And it's been, um, it's been a a major shift for us as a company. Um, a lot of people thought when we were starting this magazine that it might look like a Patagonia catalog, you know, Patagonia does such a great job with storytelling and the catalog, but it's a catalog and our magazine is not a catalog. It's actually a magazine. And so we've been able to work with incredible contributors that I don't know if we would have had a way to work with them through skiing and snow, snowboarding. Because skiing and snowboarding, let's be honest, it's like pretty exclusive. It's super expensive. There's a million barriers for entry. It's a really difficult industry when even a difficult sport is scary. So by having a general outdoor magazine 
that opened up a lot of doors for us to work with people who we respected and admired and, and wanted to be able to just give them these, these pages. So there was, there was in that piece of it and, and the learning that comes from reading these people's words and how good we feel about sharing them because it's not, it's not the typical stories you're used to reading. But then on top of that, it's also opened up opportunities for us to work with the brands that we want to partner with who are doing amazing things. Yeah, tell me about that. Because this is actually, I think, obviously, I own a communications agency and Mm -hmm. we have seen um, when you're willing to take risks and when you're willing to align audiences and not try to be remarkable to everybody, but really be remarkable to your people, right? Yeah. There are brand collaborations, brand partnerships. It doesn't have to be a product collab that you can put together that are incredibly powerful for Mm -hmm. both sides of the equation, both the brand and you or the retailer and the brand, whatever it is, right? So I'm curious to know, like, how have you been exploring that? Yeah, well, we know that we have a really dedicated, loyal following and we understand our demographic. We know who they are. And it happens to be a demographic that a lot of people want to reach and struggle to reach. But because we are that demographic, we aren't sitting in a room trying to figure out what people want. Like we just sort of innately, no, like don't ask me to help you with anything that has to do with like, men. I I don't know. I still can't figure them out. I know nothing. That is not my wheelhouse. Right. But like, we really do understand um, women and in a certain, and definitely a certain type of of woman who has an affinity for the outdoors. um, And this, you know, they, they're dedicated, they're loyal and brands want to reach them. Brands also want to create really compelling content. And that's something that we are skilled at with our, with, with our writing and our graphics and then the contributors we bring in and our photographers. So with the magazine, we're telling really interesting stories. It's not really an advertorial because we're not doing, we're not talking about gear and equipment. We're telling real stories um, but brands are able to work with us to get this message out and to show their alignment of, va- of, of values. And we've been able to work with Live Cycling, Merrill, Sherpa Adventure Gear, Topo Designs, like lots of different brands who need content. And obviously, when we create this content, it's in the magazine, but we provide it to them as well. So brands are able to come to us and, and, and tick a lot of the things that they're looking for of like, well, how do we get placement in media? Tick. How do we get exposure on social? <laughs> awesome. Tick. How do we get in news, newsletters? Tick. How do we get content and imagery and those assets that we need for our mark- marketing? Tick. And so, you know, as a quarterly publication, we work with brands in each quarter and help to produce content and our readers can be get, you know, they, they stick around because they know that the, we retain full editorial rights on the content. So it's not some watered down message or advertorial, like they're, they are real stories with real writers. And what I've found is how much brands want that. And they appreciate that, that we are sort of the facilitators of that for them. And, you know, as somebody who's sat in a lot of rooms with a ton of men who are doing marketing and sales planning, I've, mm-hmm. I'm in the middle of that right now. This is uh, early October 2019. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like one of the things that might be most amazing to your brands that want to partner with you with this editorial and branded content, I mean, I know it's not exactly that, but is they would be almost... Um, 
a little bit hesitant that what they might produce themselves would not hit the mark. And I think that because you're edgy and you're always honest, they can trust you, even (laughs) if they may not be 100% comfortable with the outcome, they can, and they probably are, but I bet in some cases they're not because you're always pushing it, right? And it's great. But that's what I think they're trying to align with is how do I get a real story out there or something that doesn't look like a bunch of dudes in a room? Like we're like, I have an idea. Let's, so tell me about that. And and do you ever have to say, that's a boring idea. Let's do this instead to maybe a brand that's paying you for presence there. Yeah. Well, we've been really fortunate so far. And obviously the magazine, we only have a year under our, our belt. We have four issues, but all the brands who want to work with us they look at us as the experts and say, we defer to you. So we haven't okay. had, we haven't run into that issue yet where people are trying to control the story because I'm so used to not making money as someone who owns a hard good company. <laughs> I would probably just, I mean, what, what's it to continue to not make money? So I, we wouldn't take money from a brand or work with a brand that wanted to be really heavy handed on the content and not because we, it's just not a good fit. So there are plenty of other advertising opportunities where they can do that. And if that's yep. what a brand wants to do, they should go there. If they, we, we definitely have worked with brands to bring a vision to life. For example, our work with Live Cycling right now, they just launched a new bike. We were part of that launch. We, I was fortunate enough to have the Avail AR and take it to Nepal and cycle through Nepal with a former Olympic halfpipe skier, Roz. We got to test the bike and and it was amazing and took photos and wrote the story and that's in this issue of Sisu. So we partnered with Liv on this product launch, but they didn't control our experience in Nepal or what we had to say about it. And so we're finding that brands, brands who want to work with us, they like what we're doing already. If you look at what we're doing and you don't, like it, it's not a good fit. But <laughs> but they're also, I mean, we I definitely, you know, once again, like I know how a lot of people perceive me, perceive us, and and there are a lot of people who are intimidated and people who are like, oh, did she really say that? Yes, I did. I did say it. And uh, <laughs> they are willing to push the boundaries because they need to be pushed, because they absolutely 100 percent need to be pushed. And I feel comfortable enough pushing them because I will keep doing it even though I know all the things that are being said. Like we, we need to have deeper, richer conversations in the industry. We need, and we need to do more than talk. We actually need to see action. And we're not going to do that with really watered down, simplistic, same old, same. We need, we do need radical change. And I get that that's really uncomfortable for people because it means things are going to change for all of us but it's the right thing. And there's a lot of brands who are on board with that and see how customers, like a customer demographic in the outdoor industry is evolving. Yep. And so if you look at it from simply an economic standpoint, if brands aren't able to understand shifting demographics of the outdoor population, you likely may not have a retail store or a brand or business in the next 10 to 15 years. You have to evolve. And this is a really exciting time to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and be comfortable with not knowing all the answers and, and existing in this bit of unknown and finding all of these co-conspirators who you can work with to not only make your business stronger, but make the industry a better, a better, more inclusive place. I love it. That's awesome. So 
on that note, I mean, I think that what you do at the trade shows is fantastic. So, you know, you pulled, why don't you tell us, tell us what you do. And then I also want to talk about your trade show strategy for Coalition Snow. Yeah. So we, we, I am at every trade show. I think it's an incredible opportunity to connect with my community in the industry. What we do is we don't exhibit, kind of ties into your second question. Yep. We did it one time, but it didn't really work out. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a, in a minute. But we host launch parties for the magazine and we make them public facing. And that is, so the, the trade show floor at some level sort of like misses an opportunity to engage with people. And obviously the trade show is for, it's not meant to be D to C, but as a business that is primarily direct to consumer, we need to engage and we want to engage with our community. So we hold release parties. We partner with a lot of other brands and organizations for panels and, and speaking events. And then we you know, walk the trade show floor and set up a million meetings that I'm always running to and late and likely have coffee spilled down the front of my shirt and maybe like a <laughs> flask of whiskey in my bag. I don't know. And I'm eating a bagel or a burrito from Topo Designs. Thank you very much. And <laughs> that's kind of how we roll through the trade show. But can I, if I can get into your second question is that we did, we have exhibited before. And what we found was that as a really small brand, the ROI wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't know if the trade show floor is the right place for a women owned hard goods company. There is definitely, um, there's a curiosity about us and there always has been, but I also think that there's a lack of trust or belief that we can deliver, that we can make a good product. Um, We have, the larger retailers have been incredibly supportive of us. And I think that's because they have their finger on a pulse of what's happening around the nation. So we've been fortunate enough to work with REI, Backcountry, Evo, and have great relationships with them. And quite honestly, a lot of the smaller ski shops, um, they look at us as a really high risk. And small retail stores, as we all know, are risk adverse. There is definitely, you know, part of that risk, I think, is very valid. That bringing in a new brand, absolutely. Like you only have so much space and you only have so much money. But there's also something to be said that we don't look like them. Right. And And you have, and it's like you're building this traffic. You're building awareness Mm -hmm. all the time since day one. (laughs) Yeah. And that's a big part of even like the larger brands we've worked with couple of the larger ones. And, you know, that's a struggle. Those airwaves are pretty saturated. And I think that what you're building on the grassroots level and kind of that, like, it's not even a slow roar, but it's a growing roar. um, It's something that is actually should mitigate that risk. We talk a lot of a lot about that on the podcast, but anyways. Yeah, it, it should. But I think I recently worked with Snooze on, on, I wrote an article about some research that came out of Stanford University recently around gender bias in consumer products and how women are perceived to be better at, with products when they're more in traditional feminine roles, like baking cupcakes and men should be making outdoor gear. And there's, you know, you can go to Snooze and read the article. Maybe you can put it in the show. I'll put the link. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But that, you know, when I saw that article, which I believe that research came out of Stanford University in March, 2019, that really spoke to me as like, this is what we've been facing. This, This bias, this bias of not being able to break through. It doesn't matter 
you know, how many followers we have or what our sales look like or the products that we make or, you know, everything that we've been doing, it just has always felt like it isn't good enough and it's not enough. And, and why can't we sort of like get over the next hurdle? And then you see this research, which is there's so much research on, on gender bias and, and you begin to realize that like, yeah, I mean, we are, we're up against a lot and we don't look like people who you would trust to make skis. And I don't think that it's a general outright sexism. I actually think people in our industry are a lot better than that. Um, but I do think that there's a, like I said, like a curiosity and a, and a question of like, well, can they do it? Are they doing it? And then also, as we all know, there are industries based on a lot of relationships. So when yeah. you are a sales rep or you work in a you work at a brand and you've been in it for 20 and 30 years, a lot of things happen there. And for us, like that's just another barrier that we didn't start in the industry. And so, but that served us as well right. because we're not in the industry, which is why we're able to do things that are so different because we don't follow the rule book that yep. the industry created. And that's been really, we're making our own book. Yep. And that's been really helpful for us. And now I also just have to ask, so that's a great explanation. I'm, I'm actually really happy that you shared your decision around the trade shows. Like you see so much value in it, but mm-hmm. in terms of showing up and exhibiting, like that's not for you. And, and mm-hmm. you now have the opportunity to take that investment and do really amazing things for your consumer that you know so well. You just opened a store recently. We're we're getting ready to. So we're in the throes of it right now. I don't sleep at night. I'm (laughs) terrified of failure. I'm going to just put that out there. This shit is scary. But we, (laughs) good Lord. Um, So we, our store is going to open up in Truckee, California, right outside of Lake Tahoe. And it's, it's going to open in about a month. So the beginning of beginning of November will be open. And we have wanted to experiment with brick and mortar for a long time because we've been e-commerce and we've been, you know, relatively successful, but also know that when you have a product that's $700 and it's a hard good, people want to see it and touch it and feel it and try it. And we've done demos and we do all of that, but it's, but it's, it's, been difficult to not have a showroom for, or we perceive, we perceive that things will be easier in the sense of like, there will be one location where people can come and not only experience our equipment, but meet us. And I was just going to ask that. That's a big, that's a big part of it. And that's the difference between us having our own store and our product being in other people's store. It's about being able to manage your message, control your message, and also create space, like hold space. And so we're really fortunate that there's a mountain bike rental business in Truckee that has this lease for two years, and they were looking for someone to take it over for the winter. So we, we have this space for six months, November through April, so we've been able to mitigate, been able to mitigate the risk of brick and mortar and not having to have a year-round lease. Um, it's in the perfect season for us, and we have an established brand. We already have products, we have customers, we have a following. So, so we're we're looking at all of those things as as aspects that will help us not totally tank a retail store. But what's you know what we're really excited about is that we're going to be there's going to be a retail experience. Like you're not going to find other places. So we're going to have a ton of events. 
There's going to be a couch in the middle of the, of the space. Like it's going to be a place where people are welcome to like, once again, come as you are, you're accepted, you're welcomed here. And we're going to have, you know, lots of different speakers, wine and wax. We're going to have a cry pillow night, just bring a pillow to cry on. <laughs> All sorts of shit to cry about. Um, but, and and <laughs> we being myself and Lauren Bello Okerman, who's our creative director and my, my partner in crime and all of this, really see the, it's important to hold space and it's, it's important to exist in this industry because we are providing something and creating something for women that you're not seeing everywhere. Right. And we know that like, sometimes you can just feel like really lonely and like, you can't, like, it's just really hard to find success. And so for us, part of building, of, of having this space also is like for us to commune with our community and, and to, to really have those experiences of like a real connection. Um, and then once again, just like the magazine, it's so cool to be able to work with other brands. In right. a way that we weren't able I was going to gonna ask you about that. Tell us yeah. about how you're like merchandising Coalition Snow in there. Yeah. So what, what we're not going to do is compete with all the other ski shops in town. That is, there's no reason to do that. It's bad business. Town is too small. And what's the point of just duplicating what other people are, are doing? So we're not going to be a traditional ski shop. And you should know that. Um, you will, it will be running rentals, demos. It'll be a showroom floor for all of our, for, for this year's line. Um, but then we're working with tons of other brands, um, most of whom are women owned. Not awesome. all, but but many. And it's going to be a mix of outdoor lifestyle and home, homewares. So once again, we're really sort of looking at the modern outdoor woman or human, man. We got a lot of good shit in there. I mean, like everybody's welcome, but there's going to be a lot of things with boobs on them and <laughs> feminist propaganda um, throughout the store, which we're very excited about. Um, but yeah, it's just been really cool to have this, to have a space where we can reach out to other brands and say, we love what you're doing. We'd love to partner with you and, and carry your products in our store. And we're finding that those brands are really excited too, because once again, we are a ski shop in Lake Tahoe that is completely different from all the other ones. And brands know we will likely engage with people differently when they walk in that door and we will right. have different conversations. And it, and, and so it's just different and different is good. And we are going to be serving people and in particular serving women in a way that other people cannot. Right. And so you've just identified a few, but what will success look like at the end of this six months? We won't be bankrupt. <laughs> Amen. <to> that. <laughs> I'm really, I mean, honestly, like, I just, I want to break even. I would at least like, so, so success would be not taking the company, but real success would be that we actually see, we see an increase in, in revenue and that we, we see that coming through the brick and mortar versus the e-commerce side. So I'm looking for growth for that. Um, Also success will be looking at the community that we're able to cultivate Right. And engage with, and so looking at how many events did we hold, and who was coming, and like what, not only actual numbers, like the quantitative side of it, but also the qualitative of what were people saying, what was the re- response to this. So success would be there's definitely the financial side of it, 
and, and that it would be so successful financially that we will do it again next year. Um, but then also that people will come to our store and say, we need a store like this to exist. If we're not solving a problem, if we're not creating value for the community, then there's no reason for us to do it, just to right. do it. So we want to, you know, and, and like I said, we'll be using, you know, quantitative and qualitative um, measures to be able to understand that success. Uh, but those would be the two big things. I mean, as much as I would love to be just all flowery and like, oh, if people love us, it'll be successful. No, I'm in business. We need to make money. I'm going to be right. like that. So. But I also feel like there's a brand equity play. And there's also, yeah. as you bring in these other brands, you guys are standing on the shoulders of giants with each other. Yep. There's a huge engagement opportunity, audience growth opportunity, mm-hmm. and just a freshness that you're going to keep running through your brand that I think is really getting harder and harder to do. It is. One, one thing that Lauren, uh, once again, Lauren Bellow-Okerman, our creative director, she and I always talk about how you have to be really curious and you have to be ready to like open every door and look behind it. And so we're doing different things every year, not because we're frenetic or, you know, because we can't figure it out, but because we still view all of this as a grand social experiment and you have to be constantly trying new things and iterating. And because if you're static, if you just keep doing the same old thing, I, I just don't think you can run business like that anymore. There's too no. much competition. There's too many channels. Consumers are demanding very different things these days than they used to. And you really need to be responsive. And being responsive means that you are, you are willing to to change and shift and, and be, be fluid. And it also keeps us really exciting. Right. I just have to say, I mean, as we look to wrap up here, you have really embodied so much of what I think so many brands, specialty brands are having a tough time doing because they have grown up through, this is how you do things. Mm -hmm. Or now they're in, we have to protect what we've built because it got us this far. God forbid we turn our back on that and, and cast out into this other or these other three areas. And honestly, there's a lot going on internally with brands that people are incentivized to keep things the old way, right? Oh, absolutely. And that's really, a, that, like, it makes it almost impossible to evolve. Even if there's like a, a group of people inside of a company who see evolution, sometimes it's almost impossible to do when like, the people who kind of are holding the playbook are getting incentivized to keep doing it the same way. Exactly. I mean, we, you can see that definitely with anything that has to do with the environment. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we, you can see it socially and really a lot of this is when you start change requires some sort of shift in power and shifting like that scares people. And, you know, we all are going to have to, we're all going to have to give and gain at the same time. And, you know, what I would say to the brands or to anyone who's struggling with this is that luckily there are resources now, like there's, there's us, like, you know, as a magazine, like we are providing services. There's, there's you, like there's, you know, there's the Avarna group that um, provides a lot of con- consulting on diversity, equity, and in- inclusion. And there's so many resources now that I would say, like, don't do it alone and figure out, you know, who you can bring in to help you with these changes because it's going, it's happening all around you. So you're, you have to, you have to. Right. Change. And I think a great example 
is if you're looking at um, maybe your environmental impact, okay? Over Mm -hmm. the course of our trajectory, we've seen a lot of brands who want to do things in a way where they use a brand as a vehicle for positive change, but they're afraid that it puts a target on their back because they make a petroleum-based product and they come up with all these reasons not to do it. The consumer is actually okay with you trying to do it as long as you're just transparent about like, I messed up here. Sorry, but this is where we're going. We have this win and this win, but this one didn't go so well. So we're pivoting and going here, but we're still committed to that. And I feel like it doesn't have to be a perfectly produced, just absolutely stellar presentation. I think that the ugliness of it, we're all in it. We all can relate to it, consumers as well. Right. And that's, I mean, the old way of doing things is having a perfectly polished, curated view for the public to think one way about you. But what people want now is they want the realness and they want the grittiness and they want to see what's going on. And, you know, just yesterday on Instagram, I posted a story to coalition's page of like, Hey, Hey y'all, we fucked up. We, we fuck up sometimes. Sorry. Thank you for still believing in us. Like just, you know, the be, you're all real people behind brands. So just yeah. be real people and, and let your brand be the voice, the people rather than the brand being its own person, you know, or right. its own, like that doesn't, I don't think that, that that's not the future of retail to have a brand that, that is sort of this behemoth, really individual. It's really about the people behind it and the things that, that you're doing. And, and people want to know what you're trying and how you're failing and how you're succeeding. There's a lot of power in that vulnerability, a lot. Yep. I agree. So before I let you go, we have to talk about your new ski launch. Yes. And um, then we'll wrap up, but thank okay. you so much. You've given, you've been so gracious with your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. So we, every year we try to put out at least one new ski. And this year we debuted the Rafiki. Rafiki is a Swahili word and it means friend. And that, um, you know, obviously we're, we're building community, we're building friend, friendship. And the Rafiki is the most playful powder ski you've ever been on. So we really wanted to build a surfy, fun powder ski that would be available for for really anyone like it's not an expert powder ski and then the reason why we chose to use a Swahili word is that we have always planted a tree for every ski or snowboard that we sell in Kenya mm-hmm. and we wanted to be able to tie together the impact that we have in Kenya and also looking at I mean research has come out that planting trees is the fastest most economical way to mitigating climate change. For us, you know, this is where the transparency comes in. Like as a really small company, our hands are tied with so many things that we can do because we don't have the financial means to make all the changes that we want to, but there are things that we can do. And so making sure that women are employed and that they're planting trees and caring for trees is something that we've been able to do and we can monitor it closely, obviously, with my um, connection there. And we're excited to be able to tell that story. And we're excited to be able to have a kick-ass new ski that is so incredible. Evo Backcountry and REI all picked it up. That's awesome. So we're we're really excited that people can find, find the ski in those shops and that you can definitely come find it in our shop in Truckee too. And um, yeah. And it ties everything together, doesn't it? It ties together your your social entrepreneurship, your um, devotion to giving women a platform and a voice in in these uh, communities that we're in. I mean, I love that it just brings it all back together. Thank you. It does. It all makes sense in my head. (laughs) Yes. And I think after this interview, 
some of the Jan Gorecki mystery may be <laughs> solved, but everybody, please know the second you think you know what's going on, it's going to change and evolve. And that's the beauty of it. So the beauty of you. So thank you so much. And you are so just a blessing to have in our communities and have really created just this dynamic, awesome current of change that people want to raise their hands and be part of. Thank you so much. It really means a lot to hear that. Thank you for having me. Well, we'll have you back soon. And I hope I get to make it out to Truckee this winter. Yeah, me too. Let's go skiing. It would be awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advanced notice of new Channel Mastery trainings and offerings like our brand new digital resource and membership that's opening up in Q3 2019. Thanks for listening and see you next week.